Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent, and in this week's episode, we have Pastor Gavin Anthony again joining us, the author of these Bible study guides. And we're going to be discussing the theme of dying like a seed. So Gavin, again, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's really a great privilege to be able to share what God has been sharing with me with you. Gavin, we, we're honoured, we're very much appreciative of you taking time out to, to have a discussion with us today on the theme, on the topic of dying like a seed. And I guess just to kind of launch straight in, Gavin, I want to read this theme text, this main text that we're going to be kind of anchoring and moving from today. And it's in John chapter 12 and verse 24. And it says, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Gavin, by way of going from here, can you recap maybe some reasons behind what's going on? Right. Well, let's back up right to the beginning of the quarter to the second week. And there we looked at four main reasons why we might encounter difficulties, problems, suffering in our lives. Number one, Satan is at work in the world. We see what he's doing and it causes us pain. So right now, the war in Ukraine is raging. We watch what is happening on TV for those of us who are far away, but we still see it. And it still brings tears to our eyes. It causes us pain. But this is Satan and his doing his work. The second reason is that I might sin and I will reap the consequences of sin. If I lie, if I have an affair, there are going to be certain consequences on me that are going to cause pain. Third reason, because God sees something potentially beautiful in my life, even though sin is there, he is going to put me into a crucible to refine me. And we looked at this idea about a crucible in an earlier lesson. So the idea of a crucible is that you've got some gold. Well, gold is what we're talking about in this context, but there are impurities in it. To get the impurities out, it has to go under intense heat. Heat is what brings out, burns away the impurities. So God looks at his people. He knows they have potential. Yes, there are impurities there, but he puts them into a testing situation in order to bring purity in their lives. And ultimately, we're talking about purity in terms of reflecting the character of Jesus. That's where it's sort of all heading. The fourth reason, which is a little bit similar to this one, but in my mind, at least, it's slightly different. I base this in John 15, and here you've got the gardener who is pruning. And it's kind of interesting. In John 15, 1 to 5, you've got this picture of a vine. Some of the branches are not bearing fruit at all, and they're cut off with a sharp knife. But there are also places on the vine that could be more fruitful. Maybe it's a little bit of fruit, or there's maybe a lot of fruit, but God sees that there could be a lot more. And so there's the pruning process. Pruning is also done with a sharp knife. And as I often think to myself, God doesn't often use anesthetic. So when that knife comes, 
whether it's for pruning or whatever, it's a sharp knife. But the purpose is a holy purpose. And I remember this, someone said, I think it's Bruce Wilkinson, have you been, and this is a paraphrase, have you been asking to become more like his son? If so, you are asking for the shears. So the pursuit of Christ-likeness, to pursue godliness, is to ask, to invite God to come and prune you, to refine you, so that you can be increasingly, you can look increasingly like God. And of course, the, the pain that we often talk about in this context is the pain of my refusal or my dislike to allow God to remove the sin in my life. And I think when I experience pain and suffering in certain contexts, it's really just demonstrates how deep, deep rooted my sinful tendencies are, but God is going to go deep down and get them. Mm. But the deeper he goes, often the more pain it, it causes us. So to have those four reasons in our minds provides a little bit of a framework for understanding why pain and suffering happens. I might not know every time when I'm going through stuff, what that reason is. But as I look back, I can see that there is purpose. And particularly in these last two reasons, which this lesson is focusing on the refiner's fire, the purification from sin and the pruning for greater fruitfulness. This is what God is looking for. But if we get back to this text now, this text in John 12, 24, this is about a seed falling to the ground and dying. And we go back to some the comments I made back in, in the first episode, where God is looking for us to be totally abandoned to him. And that process of abandonment is really challenging. Now, Jesus is talking about a seed there, but we could also think about Mark 8, 34, Luke 9, where Jesus is talking about, if you want to be his disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Well, what's Jesus talking about here? And it's really interesting because so many times when I've asked people, what is Jesus calling for in this verse? People generally don't have any idea or a very vague idea. And they often see a cross as Jesus says, you must carry a cross. That means Christianity is really tough, but I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to bear this heavy cross. No, that's not Jesus is talking about that at all. No one ever carries a cross around just to feel a heavy load on their backs and for it to make them sweat. Jesus is saying, if you come after me, deny yourself, as in stop whatever you're doing that's preventing you from taking up your cross. Pick it up and follow me. Where's Jesus going? He's going to Calvary. Jesus isn't carrying the cross to make him sweat. He's going to die on the cross. And in the same way, every disciple must come to the point of death, like Jesus, if you like. Our crosses need to be staked into the ground next to the cross of Christ. And we die as he died. And Jesus says that all discipleship, all following, begins with that act. And so this week, we're really trying to get a little bit of a handle on that experience and why it's so important that we must abandon and yield everything to God. 
And as that text suggests, death is essential because resurrection and new life can only happen on the other side of death. It's true. And when I think about a hobby that I have is gardening, I think, man, how can these little, tiny little seeds somehow bring fruits or vegetables and yet it's got to die first? And so it's within nature that we see these things. We're reminded of this in so many different ways. Gavin, I just wonder for our listeners today, is there a story, personal story that comes to mind for you that perhaps personifies this? Yes, it's probably a process rather than a story in, in one way. But over two or three years, God really drove this point and I was going to say, whopped me on the head with it. He tried, I, apparently I'm a very stubborn person and I'm very slow to grasp things because God has to be rather intense because I just don't get it any other way. Going right the way back to the beginning of my ministry, my first year I went traveling in West Africa. And we covered about 2,000 kilometers in four-wheel drives looking at different ADRA projects. It was really amazing. Went through six different West African countries over three weeks. As I think it was the last day or the day before last, or it was the evening before flying back to Abidjan, I began to feel really ill and began to get a fever and got on the plane. It was a Swiss Air flight back to London. And I began to shake on the plane and I felt dreadful. Get to London and I was taken straight into the tropical diseases hospital. They thought I had a hemorrhagic disease, which means I was bleeding internally. They put me in isolation. They thought because of being a hemorrhagic disease, I would need to go into a bubble. I didn't need to, I didn't have that disease, but I was in isolation for five days. And I was so sick, I could hardly speak. While I was lying there on my bed, my parents brought my mail that had been accumulating while I'd been away. And in this, in the mail, one of the letters was a letter from a colleague with whom essentially trashed my reputation and the work that I'd been doing. And he copied this letter all over the place. And I'm lying on my bed, feeling physically terrible. And then I read this letter where my whole kind of professional, my whole work and my reputation particularly was just demolished. And I remember just lying there, just stunned and aching with physical and now emotional pain. I just could not, I just had no idea how someone could do something like this. And particularly as I'd never been spoken to ever about anything that was written in the letter. While I was in hospital, they found out that there was a problem with my heart. I have two to one heart block, so I needed to have a pacemaker. And because I'd been in hospital for some time and I was off work and it was still in the end of the first year of my contract, I was told that my contract would not be renewed. So. I'd had my health taken away. I lost my job and I lost my reputation. And this was grueling. I, I was offered my job back. And then the second year I needed to go in for finally for the operation to put a, a pacemaker in. So they put a pacemaker in and it was for those who were squeamish, maybe just put your fingers in your ear for a moment, but I don't have a lot of fat on my chest. You know, I'm fairly skinny. And so the, the surgeon is there, he cuts me open and because 
It's a pacemaker. It's local anesthetic. So he's, he has to create a space in my chest to put the pacemaker. There's no kind of natural home for it. And he's got his thumbs and he's, he's pressing in as hard as he can. And he turns to the nurses and he says, this guy's got tough tissue. I'm not sure what to do. He says, I'm going to find a specialist and walks out the door. So there I am on the table and I literally had a nurse holding my hand because I was so stressed and wiping my brow with a cold cloth. And after 15, 20 minutes, he comes back into the room and announces to or or, or the, the medical staff, he says, I can't find him. I'll have to have a go myself. So he goes back to creating a hole for my pacemaker, sews me up. And actually the next day I became a an experiment for some medical students because I found out it's a problem with my breathing. And so, you know, when they tap on your back, they put two fingers and tap on your fingers and no one knew what was wrong. But anyway, they had punctured a, a, a hole in my pleural sac. So one of my lungs was collapsed. I'm just sharing this just to get a, a feel of how I was feeling. A few weeks later, I went for a checkup at a doctor and the pacemaker was going over. It was going green. They sent me down to the hospital. They were packing up on a Friday afternoon to go home. And the nurse, I just remember the nurse saying, take off your shirt. And I took it off and she just gasped and said, oh no, you're going straight into surgery because it had become infected. They took the pacemaker out and sewed me back up and sent me home. So, you know, this had been going on for a long time, this sort of grueling, physical, emotional, draining experience. And I'd been dating someone for quite some time. And because of everything that was going on, it's like, okay, I can't do this any longer. And so we broke up. So I lay on my bed, one mattress on the floor one night, completely exhausted. I felt like I'd lost everything. I felt so hurt physically, emotionally, in every way possible. And I thought to myself, I do not know how to pray. But I know in Romans that Paul says that the Holy Spirit will pray for us. So I said, God, I don't know how to pray, but will the Holy Spirit please pray for me? And the only thing I, way I can explain this, it was as though Jesus walked into the room and stood next to my bed. I was suddenly overwhelmed with a sense of joy and energy. I mean, it was really remarkable. Now, the reason I needed a pacemaker was because my heart was going down at that time to 42 beats a minute. So I, I, I needed my heart to work properly, to have energy. But even without my pacemaker, I was bouncing all over the place. In the middle of that night, I went to sleep smiling. And I don't know if you've tried to go to sleep smiling. It's unnatural. I woke up in the middle of the night smiling. I woke up the next day smiling and all the ends of my fingers and were tingling and my toes were tingling. It was like jets of energy were, were ripping around my body. And I was bouncing all over the place. I could go to bed at midnight and get up at six. No problem. So you know, the family couch potato suddenly became this live wire from this prayer that I prayed. It was a miracle. Well, it would have been good if that was where the story sort of ended and every, everyone lived happily ever after. And I never needed a pacemaker because God had done this amazing miracle. But there was something separate in my life that I began to complain about. And I knew that I was sinning by complaining. 
because God had done something so wonderful for me. Why should I keep complaining? But I did it anyway because I was irritated. Well, you can guess what happened. As the time went by, the more I complained, that high level of energy began to slowly fade away. And after a couple of months, we got to the point where I had the same amount of energy that I had before I prayed that prayer. Then I was really annoyed at God because I knew he had given me this miraculous energy and I was positive that he had taken it away. And so it became such a sort of a spiritual, but also a physical battle. It was emotionally investing, wrestling with God. God, what is going on? Why are you doing this? And one day I just had it up to here, as we say. And I said, I said, listen, you've taken away my health, my reputation, my job, my dreams of future happiness. I have nothing left. And a voice said, yes, that's the point. I want you with nothing. And I was stunned. I, bu I burst into tears because I knew God was right. God wanted me with nothing so that he can be everything. And so often we think we've got lots of smart ideas or whatever it is to impress God with and do God's work. But he is waiting for us to get out of the way so that his power can be revealed fully through us. And what we do in our churches and in our ministry and as Christians is something that is supernatural, not just the best that a human being can do by himself. And that's exactly what we see within a seed. As a seed dies, it realizes it's nothing. It doesn't even know it, it can be anything, but yet that's when the fruitfulness comes. That's when the harvest, the plentiful harvest comes. That's an incredible story. And as you said, more of a process, a sequence of different experiences that, that happen to bring you to such a powerful point and lesson yeah, in that. I think the problem is though, that most of the time we live in this delusion that we think we have lots to offer God. I, I remember asking someone why they were doing ministry. And their answer was, well, at seminary. And they said, well, I think I've got a lot to offer. And this is the challenge that we have in front of us. And this is why God allows us to come into moments sometimes of suffering to bring us to the point where we realize we actually are not as great as we think we are. And that only what God has is important. Only the power of God is important. And if you think about it in the bigger wider picture. We've got this, we live in this very dark, sinful world and people are wondering, is there a God at all? And the only way they're going to know that there A, is a God and B, what type of God he is, is if God can reveal himself through me and you. But if we're just going to show people the best that a human being can offer, that's not supernatural. It's not very impressive. The only thing that matters is super, a supernatural witness. You know, and as we're talking about right from the beginning, this is sort of little phrase, you were created in the image of God to real, reveal the beauty of the glory of the character of God for the honor of God. But only God can make that happen. And only when I get out of the way where I've learned to die to self, that the vacuum that's created by the death of the sinful nature can be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the nature of God is revealed through me, through the presence of the Spirit in me.
nothing else is of value when it comes to witnessing to the reality of who God is. And it's an incredible point you made because when we consider how, how God revealed himself to this world in the person of Christ, there, there may be no greater passage to, to look at than Philippians chapter 2. And let's go there. Let's spend a little bit of time there in, in looking at the importance of submission, submission for service. And, and we look at, at Paul's incredible outline of, of how Christ took those steps down. And maybe I'll, I'll read it and just allow you to expand some thoughts on that, Gavin. And it says here in, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the high place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the same thing of kind of a death comes only for there to be a resurrection. The dying of a seed comes only for there to be fruit and new life. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, and I want to be careful how I want to explain this because it can sound very politically incorrect, perhaps. But think about this as a descent, the descent of God to earth, right? First of all, he starts off in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so we use, he's saying, model yourself on Jesus in the way you relate to other people. And then he says, who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God, and depending on your version, something to be grasped. And the idea that Paul is making here is if Jesus said, okay, I'm equal with God, I have my rights, I deserve to be here, he would never have come down to the earth. But there were certain things that he yielded in order to come from heaven to earth. And then, so you've got that first descent, but then it says he made himself nothing. So this is the pursuit of becoming nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So it's not just that he is God is now going to become a human. He's going to become not just any type of human, but a servant. And this idea, this type of servanthood is where you become nothing for the sake of others. And then he said, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. So this is a humiliation by becoming obedient to death. And okay, it wasn't even that we go from heaven to earth as a human, not just as human, but to a servant, not just a servant, but someone who is going to die, but not, and now Paul says, but not just any type of death, it's death on a cross. So this is the most shameful version of what it is to die. And that yielding, that submitting to his father and giving up his, whatever you want to call it, rights, equality, to go as low as, well, it's not even as low as possible. It says he became nothing. And it was for the purpose of serving. And then, of course, you've got the next bit at the end where it says, therefore, because Jesus came, became nothing, right? Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, Paul's going off into ecstasy here, <laughs> almost. Yeah, I mean, this yes, is just, yes. he's, this is just marvelous as Paul is awed by what the Father does for the Son and exalting the Son. But all of that service, that exaltation, everything comes by first submitting himself. And of course, this is the example of Jesus. But then Paul says, okay, I want you, when you think about your relationships to other people, the people at church, the people in your family that are really getting on your nerves or worse than that, who've caused you a lot of pain, in order to serve them, you may have to become nothing. But this isn't becoming a doormat or, or something like this. This isn't becoming nothing and disappearing. This is a particular mechanism, divine mechanism, that God himself has used in order to serve people who would not otherwise be served, to show what sort of God there is or who he is. And so we are called as followers of Jesus to imitate that example. And that probably is one of the toughest things we will ever have to learn. It's tough. And in speaking of this, Paul, in another example, in another place, in Romans 12, he speaks of this. You know, he speaks of, look, hang on. In view of all of this, this is what I want you to do. And it's a, it's a crazy thought. And I've always thought this seems almost such a paradox almost that Paul is urging us to, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You think, how can something that's been, how can something that's been sacrificed be living and something that's living be sacrificed? It's this tension here of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Well, I've loved this verse for years and years and years, and not because it's nice, because it's not, but because it's so vital. And again, if we pair this up with Jesus saying, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Paul is calling for death. And the actual language multiple times in this, in these verses, he is using specific cultic language that is intended to direct the reader's minds back to the Old Testament sacrifices, where you are presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. And in the context of this verse, it appears that the sacrifice that's being alluded to is the, the, the daily sacrifice, the morning and evening sacrifices, which weren't specifically sin offerings. There were specific sin offerings, but the daily sacrifices were, was all about consecration. How do we, as God's people, remain connected to God? How do we demonstrate our devotion? It's we're going to offer these morning and evening sacrifices of a one-year-old lamb. And this is the, uh, the picture that we've got here. And what's kind of interesting, without going too far off track here, at the beginning of the tabernacle, the beginning of the temple, when the sacrifice is placed upon the altar, fire comes down out of heaven and consumes the sacrifice. Without the sacrifice being laid on the altar, divine fire would not fall. And in one sense, this, I believe, is a picture of what... Jesus calls, and John the Baptist talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the divine fire, the presence of the Spirit comes on a sacrifice. But the reality is you, 
a sacrifice, you can't be a little bit of a sacrifice. Yeah. yeah you can't be yeah. a little bit dead. Or a little you're bit pregnant. Dead, or, or you're not dead. Yeah. <laughs> not that exactly. we would know from experience, Gavin, but. Yeah. So this is a 100% death. If I'm a, li- I, well, I can't be a little bit dead. So if I am not completely dead, then I'm not a sacrifice. And if, if I'm not a sacrifice, how can the spirit fill me? Because I'm still full of myself. I'm full of my sinful nature. But what I really like about these, this verse here is the order in which the verse, these two verses are written. So you've got the offering of a sacrifice, which Paul talks is about true and proper worship. You want to talk about worship, what good Christian worship is today? It's learning how to be a sacrifice. It's not a, it's not a service. It's a whole attitude and atmosphere of our lives. But then in verse two, Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So he kind of lands on knowing God's will. Okay. How do I know God's, know God's will? Well, renew your mind. How can I renew my mind? How is my mind transformed? When in the context of this, the answer is in verse one, by offering yourself as a living sacrifice, which means that I cannot know God's will without offering myself as a sacrifice before him. So knowing comes after sacrifice. And I think that is really, really important. And if we put this in a kind of practical context, I remember years ago having a conversation, we were driving along with some visitors and one of them turned to me and said, Gavin, have you decided what, you know, where you're aiming for, what's your ambition for your ministry? And I said, don't have one. And the person asking the question was not happy, obviously with the way I'd answered because in his mind, if I was going to go somewhere, I had to plan it all out very carefully and then aim everything into that direction. Now, I'm not against planning or anything like that, but I am for what Paul is talking about here is that knowing God's will, what does he want me to do next week? Unless I have learned to become a sacrifice today, I cannot know. But the reality is often when I am a sacrifice, and let's go back to this image of a seed, when the seed is in the ground, it's dark, it's wet, it's uncomfortable. And that little seed does not know what it's going to become because it's only a seed. An acorn doesn't understand what the oak tree is. It only understands what it means to be an acorn. But as the acorn submits and yields and lives in the darkness and unpleasant conditions underground for some time, then God does something miraculous and that acorn transforms to something that the acorn cannot imagine. And I think that's the same thing. And Anna White says something sort of similar with Jesus' own life. She talks about, this is just roughly off the top of my head now, but she talks about how Jesus daily yielded himself, submitted himself to the father. He made no plans for himself, but his plans were the unfolding of the day. So as I learned to observe and to listen to the Holy Spirit in this present moment, God will unfold where I'm going. And that's what I'm comfortable with. And that's how I choose to live my life. It's not, again, my plans and again, I'm not against planning, um, but what I'm, I'm again, uh, what I am for is learning to submit 
because unless I understand that and experience and practice that on a daily basis, because this offering a sacrifice is a daily experience, a continuous experience, then God's will would become clear for me. That's incredible. When we think about this in, in, in just wrapping up our discussion today, I come back to the point you made and, and it was the essence of which it was the aha moment of your time in traveling throughout West Africa, where you realized that you had nothing left. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to you clearly and said, look, that's the point. I want you with nothing. And for us today, we've talked, we've discussed about what it means to die like a seed, for us to give our lives as a living sacrifice. We've seen the example of Jesus in what he did, you know, that he became nothing and how much more important it is for us to become nothing, to become a living sacrifice so that we would not be seen. I don't know about you, Gavin, but I don't want the people around me or the world around me to know Morgan Vincent. Uh, I want the world around me, the people around me to know Jesus Christ. And so if there's none of me that's being seen and all of Jesus that's being seen, then that's where that's where we've hit gold with that. And so it's a beautiful thing. Gavin, closing thoughts or remarks? Let me read a, a quotation, which I think is rather inspiring, but it's also very challenging at the same time, because this process of dying or learning to die is very unpleasant because I fight against this, as you might have picked up. I fight against this process with all of my being. My sinful nature does not like where God is calling me. It is active and is trying to get out of the whole thing. Alfred Manod makes this really, really challenging statement. He says, if among the trials that you are called to bear, there is one that seems, I do not say heavier than the others, but more compromising to your ministry and likely to ruin forever the hopes of your holy mission. Okay, so the stuff that's going on, he's saying, it looks like everything that I thought I was going to do is going to come crashing down. He continues, if outward temptations be added to these coming from within, if all seems assailed, mind, body, mind, spirit, if all seems lost without remedy, so your wits end here, well, accept this trial, or shall I say, or this assemblage of trials, in a peculiar feeling of submission, hope and gratitude, as a trial in which the Lord will cause you to find a new mission. That's kind of really important. There's the, my ambitions, there's my mission that I'm doing, but everything comes crashing down and a new mission emerges because God is trying to redirect where I'm going. He says, hail it as the beginning of a new ministry, of a ministry of weakness and bitterness. He will cause, which will cause to abound in more living fruit than your ministry of strength and joy in days gone by ever yielded. And I think here you've got a, a really helpful perspective. I'm going a particular direction. I have my dreams, something or a whole process comes in. It appears to undermine, crash, destroy. Everything seems to be falling apart. Now, I might not know the reasons. I might never on this earth understand what is going on. But what he does say is if we hang on here, God and we submit to God, God will redeem this pain and this suffering into a new ministry. And this will be of greater value than the ministry you thought you were going to do before. Wow. 
Gavin, thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we've discussed this this topic and this theme. And we just are amazed. I'm amazed to think of how it's actually better we come from a place of weakness and nothingness. So Gavin, thank you for this and for your time today. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.